Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. If you've got your Bibles today, open them, if you would, to the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament there. And uh, we're going to cover all of chapter 1 today. We're starting a new series today called When Things Go Wrong. And uh, I don't know for sure if he was the first person to say it or not, but uh, Elvis Presley was credited with saying, when things go wrong, don't go with them. <laughs> I thought that, that's, that's good. So, so when things go wrong, but uh, there's, good, you know, there's a, w- a lot of wisdom in that saying. It, and I think for believers especially, when things are going wrong, don't, f- don't fall prey to the idea that that's how you have to live your life or that's what you have to be subject to. So, uh, so in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the book of, or at least the first part of the book of 1 Samuel for a few weeks here. And uh, in chapter 1, we have the story of the birth of Samuel. Uh, Samuel is this fascinating character who, who helps Israel transition from the time of the judges into the time of the kings. Uh, and what, and it's, he's a prophet, but he's hardly regarded as a leader. He's really, in, in many ways, the last of the judges and the first of the line of prophets that will come after him that, that are so well-known, uh, not, uh, not that there weren't prophets before that, but the ones that are really well-known in the Bible. So, so we open the story with, this, uh, with, a, uh, with a recurring story from the Bible, uh, where, especially in the Old Testament, where a woman is barren. She's unable to have a child. And, and we've seen this before in the Bible, and because of that, we know that when we see this, we can expect that God's up to something, right? As soon as you get introduced to a woman who can't have children, you know, man, God's going to be up to something here. And I love that. That story by itself is a fantastic story because uh, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter, no matter how uh, dead something might seem or, or uh, unable to produce, uh, that, that God wants to make sure that we know that there is coming uh, a, a miracle in our lives. I love that, and I love this story about a gal by the name of Hannah. And so uh, for her, as we talk about what, what could go wrong, well, the thing that went wrong in her life, of course, is that she was childless. And, but that, what that did was that by itself was plenty, but then that multiplied repercussions in her life of other things that were troublesome to her, and we'll get into that as we go through this story. This is, this is a pre-Mother's Day message, if you will, but I, uh, don't, the guys should not shut down at all. You're going to learn a lot from the life of Hannah today, and uh, something we all need to grab hold of. So let's look at our text today. We're going to read the first 11 verses, take a break, and then we'll pick it back up as we go through. But in your Bibles now from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zaphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, not Tofu, but Tohu, the son of Zaph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other was called Penaniah. And Penaniah, I'm not probably saying that right. You know, you should always practice these before you do it. And I just read, as I read it, I thought, that doesn't sound like Penaniah. Peninnah. Peninnah. I've always said her name wrong. Hopefully, I'll correct it today. Penina had, uh, uh, let's see, where was I? She had children, but Hannah had none. Verse 3, year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever they came, the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. 
And because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Catch that, year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. We're going to pause right there and just leave your Bibles open, but, but we introduce Hannah, we introduce the trouble that she's in, the things that have gone wrong. Let's start by praying over God's Word. Lord, we just thank you today for what we've already read, and, and I, I, could, I could feel myself even seeing new things this time reading it through, as I've read it through several times this week. But God, as we go through this, I just pray that you'll speak what needs to be spoken to every heart. And I trust, so as I so often do, Lord God, that, that the, the big things that you're going to speak to people uh, may not even come from my lips, but they would come directly by the Holy Spirit as we go through and thoughts come to people's minds. So bless your people today as we receive your word, as we preach your word, and that Jesus Christ would be glorified in it all. Everybody said, amen, amen. So what do you do when things go wrong in your life? I mean, that's kind of a loaded question because all kinds of things could uh, elicit different kinds of responses. Um, you know, uh, I, I was just thinking about this a couple weeks ago, and uh, Rhonda, uh, she threw me under the bus last week, so I may as well throw her under the bus this week. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> anyway, we have fun. But um, so anyway, she has this terrible aversion to updating anything electronic, let's just say. And uh, she does. She, and I don't know where that came from. I think years ago she updated something and it, it worked worse. And so from then on, she just thought, don't update, don't update, don't update. But yeah, no, don't do that. Don't say that, brother. <laughs> anyway, but the problem is, is things will stop working. And so this happened a few weeks ago. She's sitting there in her chair next to me and she goes, she goes, my iPad stopped working. I have to get a new iPad. I said, give it to me. I look and there was this update that had been waiting for a month to be loaded. And <laughs> And so I, I sent it into doing its little update. It took about 10 minutes. I handed it back to her. It works fine now. And, I, you, know, and I, you know, it saved us a ton of money, not to mention that, but, uh, but I'm mentioning it. Anyway, <laughs> it's a good thing she has me around or she'd be completely broke buying new things all the time. <laughs> But, you know, it's just when things go wrong, you know, sometimes we just need an update or an upload, if you will, from God, you know, to come into our lives in some way. But another version that Rhonda has is to spiders. She does not care for spiders. Um, I'm not, like, really fond of them, but I, they don't freak me out. I feel sorry for our two oldest boys. Uh, here they are, grown men, and they still act like little babies when they see spiders because she frightened them so much when they were little kids. It's the truth. It really is. But... Somehow Abraham, you know, he figured, ah, this is stupid. What are you guys, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, Rhonda got better. She got delivered from <laughs> whatever was going on in her life. But she still, here's what's weird. You know, I'll, we live in the same house, and I admit my eyesight, you know, she pointed out last week that I am sometimes unobservant. I get that, and my eyesight not, may not be all that great. But, but I'll be just, you know, living life in my house, thinking they're all is well. And she'll come to me with this attitude, you know, this like, and she'll say, did you not see that spider, you know, in the hallway? And I'm like, no, I don't usually look like this. I don't understand why she, when she walks through the house, she's like this, always on alert, you know. And I'm like, I just walk through my house. I just enjoy it, you know. But she's got this, like, radar. And so I'll go, and she'll, she'll be this little teeny-weeny 
spider up in a corner. Yeah, you got it. And so I'm over there, and I go, I can't believe it. So I'll, I'll have to go after these spiders. Now, sometimes they're hard to reach, you know, i got to admit. And 90, I would say 95% of the time when I go kill a spider for her, yes, I kill them. Don't, don't send cards and letters about that. But I know some of you release them into the wild. No, we'll just kill them. Anyway, but uh, so I'll go to kill a spider, and 95% of the time, you know, it's an instant kill. It's, you know, it's just devastating for the spider. Right, I get that, and that's life. But once in a great while, I will go for it, and I'll miss. You know what I'm saying? And and that spider will fall down the wall. It's like they move at lightning speed all of a sudden, and and then it crawls into a place where I can't get at it at all. And that's when the other shoe falls in our house. She is not. No, no, no. She is not happy about that at all. She begins. You know, as soon as that happens, she begins to go pack her bags and say, "That's." You deal with this, and when it's over, I'll come back. That's kind of how it's going to go. You see, the thing is, is seeing a spider is not so much the problem. When things go wrong is when it disappears, right? And that's when things go wrong for Rhonda. But what do you do when things go wrong in your life? And uh, obviously, I'm talking about kind of funky, fun things here, but there are really devastating, and there's things that I think in this room, there's no doubt things some people are facing right now. Stuff maybe you face in the past, but some of you are facing things right now that are hard, and you're going through them and tough. And the thing for Hannah was, of course, that she was barren. And um, as hard as that is for any woman of any age, for Hebrew women, this was especially problematic from the standpoint that from the very first promise in the Scripture that we have of a Savior in Genesis 3.15, all the Hebrew women knew that they were in line, not only through the line of, of course, Eve, and then through the line of Shem, of Noah, and then coming up through Abraham, and through Isaac, and Jacob, and then the, even the tribe of, you know, and, and so all these Hebrew women are looking at this idea that somehow they're part of the solution to what's wrong with the planet. And, and by the way, to elevate women, just say that... that that that's what God chose to do. It isn't just bearing uh, or birthing a child. It's that you become a mother to that child that is going to save the world. And they didn't know if they were going to be the Mary or not. Do you understand? They didn't understand it was going to be a virgin birth a, a thousand years later. But, but with every Hebrew woman, they're thinking, well, maybe I'll... And that's why they were so desperate for sons, okay? They wanted a son because they knew it would be through a male child that the salvation of the world would come. So every one of them, it wasn't... And, and so there was... There was that, and then there became this social stigma that if you couldn't, that somehow you were cursed by God. You understand? There's a lot of complications to this. And, uh, and so, you know, in our day and age, there are those who, and we have the amazing ability now to choose to have children, have them at a certain time, you know, uh, most, in most cases, it doesn't always work, uh, you know, sometimes, but, but, uh, but there's some who choose in our day and age to not have children, and that's, that's a choice that we can make, but then there's those who want to have children that can't have them, and so oftentimes it's in these cases that a woman will be in great anguish and go to great lengths sometimes medically even, and, and again, thank God for the great medical science we have out there because we're able to do incredible things, and many times we're we're able to uh, have, have children even when it would seem impossible otherwise. And, and so that's, uh, the, but the modern medical options that we have today to, to do these things weren't available, obviously, back then. And so we read in this text that I just read that God had closed her womb. Now, now you're free to disagree with me if you want to go different, but you'll probably be wrong. I, I'm just thinking. <laughs> but but here's, here's how I view when I read things like that in the Old Testament. Uh, and mostly that's where you would find things like this, where you, you see, you, and, and I don't know if when you read God closed her womb, you go, 
It's like you read it and you think, well, that's what the Bible says. But down deep in your heart, you have this little twinge that goes, that just doesn't feel right. Does anybody feel that way when you hear stuff like that? I hope you do, because if you, especially if you sat under my preaching for a long time, because I've talked a lot about how good God is. And so when I read that God closed her womb, listen, I just want to say that there, there are other passages of Scripture uh, during the time of, uh, time of Abraham where Abimelech's household, they, they were, their wombs of their wives and slaves even were closed. And it says that God did that. And I do believe that that was a case. But God let them know why that was. And he, and he said, well, you know, there was a situation with Sarah. I don't need to get into all that, but that happened. But then eventually it was taken care of and they began to have children again. But I think in most cases, when this comes up like this in the Old Testament, that this is not exactly what was true, but it was how the writer perceived it because the writer, even though this is the Word of God, sometimes people were just writing as they perceived things. Not everything you read in the Scripture is necessarily something that you should take as gospel truth. There's much in the book of Job, by the way, that's very interesting, but it's absolutely opposite of what God really is like. In fact, at the end of the book, he'll say, you know, who is this that darkens my counsel? You guys are talking about stuff you don't even know about. So you can basically take all the stuff in the middle and go, all right, I'm not going to take all of this at, at face value, but I'm going to interpret it through the rest of the Bible and see what value there is in this. But understand that there's 30 chapters of arguments in there that people make that really there's a lot of just junk in it, okay? So not everything you read in the Word of God is necessarily uh, gospel. Let's put it that way. So where I'm, go where I'm going with all this, and I struggle with this because, you know, and we have the scripture on the wall here. Jesus Christ, who is God, by the way, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same God. He didn't change his personality from an Old Testament meeting God and closing wombs and stuff to Jesus comes along and says, oh, everything's cool now. That, that God is not changing. It would be impossible for him to change. So this is the same God back then. And so this is why I struggle with this. And I, can't, I cannot reconcile Jesus, who only went around doing good, Acts 10.38, being behind the keeping of a woman's uh, womb closed or keeping her from having children in some way. I, I say this especially if there's anyone out there suffering in some way, even in this particular way, that I want you to know that God is not the problem. God is the answer. And he was the answer for Hannah that day. Trust me when I tell you. So, so I hope that you'll understand that he is the answer for you as well. Now back to our story. When we read that the man had two wives, uh, sometimes we'd stop there and we go, what's going on with that? Uh, it was never God's plan from the beginning. It should have been one man, one wife. But, but pro you know, I'll tell you how this kind of happens in an Old Testament sense is a man realizes his first wife that he loves can't have children. And the only way he's going to have Social Security, so to speak, or have uh, any way to leave land to his family is if he has uh, descendants. And he has to have children to be able to do that. And so and oftentimes, that's why a, a second wife might be added in a case like this. But it was never God's plan for that to happen. But God allowed certain things in, the, in old times uh, that are not, we, we're clarified about all that now, right? Okay, so we have to talk more about that. And, um, and so Hannah, we read, is uh, favored, and she's given a double portion of meat, which was a big deal in those days, by her husband. And he, he, his attempts at affection toward her are fairly meaningless to her. <laughs> they really are. Sometimes we husbands are clueless, and we think, here, just eat something. It makes me happy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> just, here, have some food, right? And, and then there's some emotional stuff going on. And, and sometimes, guys, we just got to... We just got to be there. We got to be present. We just got to listen and, 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 and comfort as best we can and know that we're not going to understand all that, but we can be present. True? Okay. 
So she gets to the point where she just gives out. I mean, she just becomes despondent. She gets to the point where she just can't even eat anymore. And, uh, and I think we can all relate to that in our lives from different things, maybe times in our life that we've faced things like that. And, it, and for us, it, it, we, instead of using the word barren, we might use the word fruitless. We're, we're in a fruitless season of our life. And that fruitlessness can happen in, in financial ways, right? How many have ever been in a financially barren place? I, I think everybody could probably say that. Sometimes you're, and it may not be the relationship you're in now, but sometimes in relationships there can be barrenness. Uh, in our marriage, if you're married, you can sometimes have seasons of time where you think, man, I, you know, yeah, right? You just help me, God, right? Not, it never happened for me, but I'm just saying I've noticed some of you. <laughs> I think my emotion just kind of got out a little too much there. Uh, our relationship with God. Come on, let's be honest. Come on, have you ever been in a dry spot with God where your relationship with God was barren, it's fruitless? You're thinking, man, I'm just going through the motions. Well, at least keep going through those motions because it'll come. But, but, uh, but even our physical body, we can run into a place where we're struggling and barren in that way. Or, or here's another one, the hopes and dreams or the preferred future, the things we had imagined that th- life might be like and we're sitting there now and going, it's not that way. So we struggle with all that. Maybe you're struggling in one of those areas today. What do you do when you come to a place where things are gone wrong? What do you do when you feel like there's no hope in some area of your life? I would suggest that we take a lesson from Hannah today and do what she did. And here's what she did. And in the anguish of her heart, she cries out to the Lord in prayer and supplication. She, interestingly, if you uh, read the Bible all the way through, this is the first time it is mentioned in the Bible that a woman prays. Now, I'm sure women prayed before this. I'm absolutely certain of it. But it's the first mention of it. And I think it's important whenever a first thing is mentioned in the Bible to take extra care to look at what's going on there because this woman is not just praying, a, you know, throw up a prayer to God kind of thing, but she is going for it. She is all in. And, and so let's keep reading and pick this up in verse 10 now. It says, watch this. It says, in her deep anguish, deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. I mean, you can read those words and you can just skip right by it, but I just want you to picture this woman who is, is weeping bitterly. What does that look like? How much emotion is involved in that for her? And in that, and again, it's, you know, the word deep is added to anguish. There's so much anguish going on. It's a, it's a terrible, terrible place she's in. And in that moment, in verse 11, it says, she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Now, you think, well, where did she come up with that, and why would she put that into the deal? And it, and it occurred to me, and I looked it up, and there's a, probably a very good chance that either Samson was still alive, or he had just recently finished his life. And remember, Remember the story of Samson, which was another woman who couldn't give birth, but finally she did. And, and, but God says, you're to set this child, and no razors to come to his head. There was a couple other qualifications. But no doubt she heard the story of what, how powerful. And I'm wondering if this was during the time, perhaps, when Samson had not gone off the deep end with Delilah and was still you know, doing some pretty mighty stuff for God, right? Because he judged Israel for quite a long time before the Delilah story. So it's a possibility, though I don't know for sure, but there was, there's obviously some kind of uh, uh, influence here coming to Hannah as she prays this prayer. So anyway, we'll look further now. Verse 12, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli, who is the priest, uh, he observes her mouth. 
Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and he said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who's deeply troubled, and I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Most times, I don't know about you, I'm confessing freely. When I am falsely accused of something, I, something, I can feel something inside of me just snap. And I, I, I've, it's pride, I know it is, it needs to be put at the cross, but, but when somebody accuses me of something I know I didn't do, if you accuse me of something I did, I'll own up to it pretty quick, but I, I, something is wrong with me, God help me, I mean this, that, that when I'm falsely accused, I think a lot of us are more like me than we are like Hannah, that when, when somebody says, you did this, and we know we didn't do it, we just get, you know, just, we turn into Jack-Jack, and start flames coming out if you don't know what that is, just watch The Incredibles, number two. Okay, and so I uh, hope I didn't spoil it for you. Anyway, so, um, but, but, I, but I love how she responds. She's humble and just simply explains to Eli, no, 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 your perception of me is wrong, right? Your, your perception, I'm not a drunken woman here. And, and by the way, uh, you know, just let me stop for just a moment. You know, drinking wine and beer, uh, you know, there's no scripture that tells you absolutely not but drunkenness always in the Bible is shown. And if you're playing around the pools of drunkenness, he's talking about, you know, he's talking about what, what kind of, you know, mentions, uh, she says, uh, don't take me for a wicked woman. If she'd have been drunk, she understood that would have been wickedness. You understand what I'm saying here? So just don't play around that pool. And if, if drinking a little beer and a little wine is getting you close to there, don't drink any of it. Just stay away from it. You may have liberty, but it doesn't mean it's wise. Okay? So stay away from it entirely because drunkenness is not uh, permitted at all in the Bible. So, so anyway, there's this spiritual barrenness that can be in our lives. It keeps us from being fruitful for the Lord. And Hannah's answer was to pray. And Eli thinks she's self-medicating, if you will. And, and frankly, that's what most of us do when we feel a barrenness or sorrow in our lives. We turn to anything and any, everything, really, that would keep our minds off it. And that, that may mean drugs or alcohol for some. For others, it means burying yourself in some kind of relationship, uh, whether it's a good one or not. Uh, some of us fill our lives with entertainment or, or sports or, or like our worship team today and the people gathered to pray before church. We're talking about the new movie, Avengers movie, incessantly. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, it was like, okay, we're here to glorify Jesus. But I was, I was doing it too, just being real. So, but, but you understand, we get kind of we're trying to find things to fill voids. Okay, is where I'm going with that. And it might be uh, movies, it might be video games, come on. It might be computer games, uh, and, and, or eating too much, or all kinds of things that we'll dive into uh, when we're feeling down and out like Hannah was. And, and so, and oftentimes we'll do anything but the thing that she did, which is the best thing and the greatest thing we could do, which is to, come on, pray. That's right, to pray. And, and how often God is just waiting. Come on, if you just, like, you're, you're going to the wrong, you're looking for comfort in the wrong place. If you just turn to me in this moment, I've got something for you. If you'll just turn to me. But, but, you know, we think, well, I'll just throw up a quick prayer. No, remember Hannah again. She's in anguish. She's weeping bitterly. I mean, she's all in in that prayer. She's like, I'll do anything, God. I'll even, I'll tell you what I'll do, God. If you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. Like, it seems like the antithesis of what she should have said or would have said, but she says it. 
It's incredible. And, and so, so, you know, I, and I've, I remember a time when Andrew, our oldest, was two years old. And for all of his little baby life up till two, he kept having really bad asthma attacks. Like, they were horrible. I, I think there were three or four times we had to take him to the emergency room, sometimes in the middle of the night. And it was barbaric. I mean, I don't know if they have got different stuff now. But they put him in this device that just kind of suspended him in midair and, like, force oxygen and it was do you remember that that plastic thing that they put him in as a little baby it was like plexiglass it was weird looking and I don't I don't know maybe it was Ellensburg you know hospital there I don't know but but anyway so uh but he had this asthma so bad and I remember one night he was we didn't even have him in his bed he was uh laying on the couch and and he was sleeping, but he was really laboring in his breathing. It was, it was just so hard to watch. And I remember, I think Ron had already gone to bed, and I, was, I remember just kneeling down beside my little boy, and I just began to cry out to God. And the tears, real tears were streaming down my face, and I was saying, God, you've got to do something for this little guy. I mean, it was just breaking my heart, breaking my heart. And I cried out, and I cried out to God, and I, I don't remember how long I stayed there that night, but then I, I, I went to bed, and and it was that week, or maybe the week after, we went to a meeting of leaders in our church, and we gathered together, and at the end, we all just, I remember the room we were in, I remember we were a circle, uh, all the leaders were gathered, and we were passing out prayer requests to each other, you know, telling each other what our requests were, and I said, guys, will you just pray with us? Our son, Andrew, just keeps having these asthma attacks where he can't breathe, and we're so concerned for him, and they, there was, man, they got fired up. They really saw our anguish and our, our fruitfulness in this area, if you will, and said, and they began to pray, and I remember right in the middle of that prayer God spoke something to my heart and he says it's done and I went back home and I'll tell you from that day on isn't this the truth never again did he ever have an asthma attack never after that God did it and I'm telling you there's times you say well where is God where is God when's the last time you were on your knees before God crying out to him in anguish and tears streaming down your face for that thing you say you want so bad how bad do you want it now, God, God's not trying to twist your arm. God's not, you know, he's not making you prove anything. But it's something about when we get to that place where we are all invested in that thing. And this takes us to our next part, which is so amazing. I mean, when you're ready to give up, it's time to give it up to God. Do you understand what I'm saying? So let's keep reading. 1 Samuel 1, 17. Now, Eli answered, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away. Look at this. This is great. And she ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah. And, re and remember that part right there for a second. And then the Lord remembered her. And so in the course of time, in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. And when her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice of the Lord and fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go up. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. What? Do what seems best to you. Her husband Elkanah told her, stay here until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. When Hannah surrendered fully to the Lord, I love this, her face was no longer downcast. When she had a word from God that she trusted was from the Lord, she just stood up and said, that's it, I'm eating. Where's that extra meat you mentioned? <laughs> you know, I'm ready for some ribs. Oh, no, they wouldn't eat those. Well, beef ribs, maybe. Uh, goat ribs. Anyway, but, um, but she's like ready to eat. She's smiling. Do you understand? She's, she's okay. She's, her face is lifted up now. 
I want to ask you a question as we think about her newfound attitude. Did she have a baby yet? Was she pregnant yet? No. But she took God at his word. She said, okay, this is for real. This is for real. I'm going to live by faith. You know, there's something happens when you get a word from God. Like that night when I knew from God that Andrew was good. I said, okay, we're just going to go home and live in that. And never saw it again. And so, so she began to live by faith that she would bear the son and her reproach would be removed from her life. It put a smile on her face. She's eating and happy and smiling and worshiping God. And then notice it says in the course of time. It's very likely from the way we understand this that, uh, and the way this is worded is that she didn't conceive immediately. You know, she, she, uh, and so it could have been maybe two or even three months. The baby was uh, born by the time Elkanah went a year later to, the, to Shiloh again. But we don't know, you know, if it took two or maybe even three months. Maybe the baby had just been born. And so there was a time, there was some time that passed. And so we understand that. And that, that so you, what you have to also understand is that she and her husband had to be intimate, right? In fact, uh, you know, Forgive me for this, but i got to go here. That was probably one of the best times of uh, Elkanah's life. Sexually, I'm talking about. You guys are looking at me like, can we talk about this? Yeah. The guy, you understand, he goes home and his wife's saying, come on. You know, his favorite wife, he's saying, let's go. <laughs> and, and, and I imagine they had to cap, keep after it, don't you? I mean, it just doesn't happen on the first try uh, most times, right? So, so you, now you say, oh, you're getting off. Well, listen, this is important. Because, listen, God will do his part. But we got to keep doing our part, you know? And if she went home and just said, okay, God, download. And didn't continue to make love to her husband. Do you understand? There would be no baby. So there's, this is what James means when he says faith without works is dead. You can have faith all you want, but if you don't go walk it out, if you don't go live it out, and in this case it meant have sex with your husband a whole bunch. And I bet he liked that. Don't get weird on me. We Come on. This is happening here. Amen. <laughs> I figured all the men would say that. But, but we get a promise from God. We get, we, but the fulfillment of the promise oftentimes comes later. And the key is we have to continue to trust in God in the meantime. We don't give in or surrender to circumstances. We surrender to God. And we're patient. We don't stop doing the things that are going to get us there. We've got to keep after it. And stay with it. And with everything that happens, there's God's part and there's our part. Always remember that. The last bit of text now from 1 Samuel 1, 24 through 28. After he was weaned, this is talking to Samuel, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an epaph of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I'm the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I've asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped there. And then just looking ahead, one more verse to 1 Samuel 2.11. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. He was probably three years old, might have been five years old, but he was a little guy. And I don't know about you, you know, when God says, give, give your children to me. Yeah, that's all fine and good as long as they get to stay in my house, right? But this is, this is a kind of commitment that somebody makes. It's like, oh my goodness. Remember, Hannah wanted a son more than anything else in the whole world. 
And it got to the point that she would, she would say, I consecrate it completely to you. I yield everything to God. My desire for that, I give it all to you. I give the desire to have a child to you, God. You take this. That's what she's doing. Do you understand? It's like, uh, this is amazing to me. She made a vow to the Lord and to gave, give her son to him to work for the Lord. And, and I can't even imagine how difficult. I can't even wrap my mind around how hard that would have been for her to do. She didn't know this at the time, and she couldn't have known it. But in chapter 2, we'll read that Hannah was blessed with five more children, sons and daughters. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, and that's important to remember for our story, because sometimes we're in that thing where God's saying, give this to me, give it up. And we're thinking, oh, but we have stories like this to remind us, trust God on the other side, because what he's going to give you is always so much bigger than what you've had. So amazing, so amazing. I'm glad that when I gave my children to the Lord, I didn't have to live apart from them. But there's something incredible about learning to, as a dad and a mom to give your children to the Lord. We call it consecration sometimes. Um, we as parents need to know this. We need to understand that giving our children to God is the best thing we can do for them. Even when they're adults, listen, even when you have grandchildren, not a week goes by that I don't pray a prayer that, God, I give my son Andrew to you. He's 31. Is he 31 now? 31? 32. Okay, he'll be 32 this year. 31. I was right. Just say you're right. That's all. It's not that hard. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to be in so much trouble after this. Anyway, so, <laughs> so 31 years old, but every week I'm still praying, I, Lord, I give Andrew to you, my son. I give, I give his wife, my daughter-in-law to you. I consecrate them to you. I consecrate my grandchildren to you. I would name them by name before God. Every week of my life, that at least once in that week, that's a prayer I pray for my children as adults. How much more when they're in our homes? Do we need to give our kids to God? Give them to God. You think they're an adult, they're on their own. Just give them to God every time you pray. I know a woman whose son died after only a few months of living, and I can't pretend to understand or grasp how devastating that would be for someone. I, I can only commiserate a little bit or think, oh, I can imagine, but I can't really understand it fully. And the grief that she encountered was so profound. But, but then after that happened, she changed and she stopped coming to church where, where she could have got more help and health. But she began, and in part it was because she blamed God. I heard of another woman who, who said these words, if anything ever happened to my child, I could never forgive God. I, I understand the the deep love a mother has or a father would have for their child. But let me tell you something. If stuff like that is happening, if, stuff, if words like that are coming out of your mouth, you don't have a big enough view of God. You need to understand how big God is. And it's more, it is, listen, you want to do what's best for your children? Hear me out. Make God your number one. Make sure that He, everything is given to Him without reserve. That you can trust Him with your spouse. You can trust Him with your mother and father. You can trust Him with your children. Make sure you give it all to God, first and foremost. And if you're married and you have a spouse, then next in line is your spouse. Do not elevate those children over your spouse. Your spouse has to come before those children. It's, listen, it's what's best for your children. If you're not taking a date night, take a date night for the sake of your children. Because if your marriage isn't good and your relationship isn't good, then your kids aren't getting the best they can out of you. 
But many times I see people putting, young parents putting their children above everything else. It is a dangerous place to be. And if you can't learn now to consecrate your children to the Lord, you're going to find many rocks on the road to where you want to get with them. You can trust God with your kids. You can. And Hannah gives us an incredible example of something we must do spiritually. Even listen in a blended family. Sometimes I've heard of, of, of a spouse that, will ha- that has children and says, well, I'll marry you, but I need you to understand my kids will always come first. That, you know, that's a dangerous place to be. I don't think you need to talk about this with your kids, but you need to make sure that they understand that that, mar- that marriage is going to be healthy for the whole family. Okay, these are important things, you guys that we need to understand. It's consecration of our life, our marriage, our kids, our job, whatever we have, give it all to God. Trust Him with it. And if there's anything that makes us say, if so-and-so happened, I could never forgive God or I couldn't serve God or anything like that, we got to get that fixed. Let's get it fixed today. There can't be anything like that in our lives. It has to be dealt with. Because what happens is, and, 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 and if it's your children, they've become an idol to you. You've elevated your children to a place of an idol or your marriage to a place of an idol and you've put it above God. Tracking? Worship team, come on back up. When things went wrong for Hannah, what'd she do? She prayed. She believed the word of the Lord. She changed her attitude, right? When she got a word from the Lord, she said, okay, I'm going to walk in it. Like, you know, she wasn't pregnant. She didn't have a child yet, but she started walking in it. She didn't go around moping and feeling sorry for herself, making a Facebook post about how miserable her life was. (laughs) Right? I imagine if they had Facebook back then, Hannah would have put a real positive post out. The Lord is my strength. He's my shield. He's my very great reward. I love the Lord with all my heart. I trusted in the Lord and He heard me out of His holy hill. I don't know what she would have said, but it would have been something profound. And she continued, listen, don't miss this part. She continued to do over time, what needed to be done so that the fulfillment could come. That's important. you got to stay with it. In the process of getting to this point, obviously, Hannah got some scars in her life, you know, emotionally. We all get that. that being, being picked on by her rival, being years of facing the scorn of the community, of people in the thing, thinking you're cursed in some way, and you know you're not. And all of these... All of us have had things that we've had happen in our lives that have scarred us emotionally in some way. But hear me out. Just make sure you know where the scarring's coming from because it's not from God. Satan has a desire to destroy our lives in any way he can. And maybe he can't get our souls, but if he can pick at us enough and claw at us enough and do enough bad stuff in our lives and we finally get in this place where we're just, you know, then he wins. Some of us have scars from self-inflicted things that we've done to ourselves, things we've given into in the past. But, but I want you to understand something. Satan's behind that stuff too. You're blaming yourself. We, were, we sang a song this morning that talked about that, that shame, the sin and the shame are gone. Catch the second word. The shame is gone too. And you're still judging yourself and you're still living in that place of shame and saying, oh, it's, you know, how could God ever... No, 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 God doesn't even... There's no shame. You can stand before God. There's no, nothing holding you back right now. But Satan's behind those things of shame and of sin. And like, who do you think it was that was whispering in your ear that when you took that first drink of alcohol as a young person or go, that got you hooked? 
Or who do you think uh, was behind it when you smoked your first joint and you started going down a path of, of, of a drug addiction of some sort or another? Who do you think was behind that first sexual encounter before marriage that led you to that place? Who do you think was behind it when you started looking at pornography and got hooked on it? Or figured out, or when you figured out how to cheat or lie on your taxes or do things or, or manipulate people with your words? I mean, come on. We could, like, I can't list it all, but you, you understand anything like that that we're facing. So when things go wrong, church, when things go wrong, we have to turn to the Lord for answers. We have to do what Hannah did. And like Rhonda's computer or her iPad, it might be time for a little upgrade today, a little update maybe that God wants to do and download into your life. And how does that happen? I'll tell you how it happens when we come and pray like Hannah did. I love it to Brent. I mean, that was so good that he had us get on our knees earlier. And uh, I think we need to do more of that. And in fact, I was thinking, man, he's really hearing from the Lord because that's exactly what I'm going to ask us to do right now. Would you stand first with me? Even the song selection today. Give it all, give it all. My life in your hands, right? Do you remember singing that today? Were you here with me? Yeah. That's what we're talking about in this moment, giving it all to God. Thank you for listening to Praise Center's Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.